You're listening to Ithaca Now, WICB's weekly news podcast focused on stories in the Ithaca community. I'm your host, Emma Kirsting, and thanks for joining us. On tonight's show, we have WICB news correspondent Caroline Grass in a conversation with Ithaca City of Asylum's newest writer-in-residence, Dmitry Baikov, correspondent Christian Maitri's ta- take on the weekly Extinction Rebellion protests outside the Chase Bank location in Ithaca, and former news director Jay Bradley in conversation with a Cornell student group whose goal is to make the most fuel-efficient vehicle in the world. But first, here's Clayton Davis and Jay Bradley with this week's Community Beat, and George Christopher with this week's Politics Beat. Acting Supreme Court Judge Patrick McAllister has ruled that the recently drawn New York State Senate, Assembly, and Congressional districts were gerrymandered and unconditional. In a 18-page ruling, McAllister has ordered New York State legislators to redraw districts with bipartisan support. McAllister stated that the maps were, quote, enacted with political bias and thus in violation of constitutional probation against gerrymandering, end quote, and suggested that the election calendar be suspended. The city of Ithaca is beginning its annual street cleaning process this Monday and warns the area residents parked on city streets must move their cars from specified blocks from day to day from April 4th through May 6th, or else their cars can and will be towed at the owner's expense. Streets will be posted as no parking zones 24 hours in advance. The city of Ithaca will be using the new Tompkins Siren Alert System to notify residents of the streets to be cleaned each day if they're subscribed to the street cleaning notification. Residents who were subscribed to the outgoing Swift 911 system will be transferred to the new system, but the county asks that residents check their enrollment status at tompkinscountyny.gov siren. Ithaca Acting Mayor Laura Lewis has endorsed Leslie Danks Burke as Burke pursues the Democratic nomination for New York State Senate District 53. A quote from the Ithaca Voice from Lewis talking about Burke states, quote, I have known Leslie for years and she's always shows up from her advocacy for reproductive health care to volunteering in areas as diverse as PTAs, regional economic development boards, the library, and Tompkins Cortland Community College, end quote. Lewis and her opponent, Leah Webb, are the only two Democrats running for the nomination as Dr. Amanti Webb dropped out of the race last month. The waterfront has its farmer's market back. This past Saturday marked the Ithaca Farmer's Market's season-first return to their steamboat landing location. Throughout the spring and summer, residents can find dozens of regional vendors selling prepared food, produce, and more every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Police from Ithaca College and Cornell University are investigating a reported sexual assault case from earlier in March. According to an announcement from the Cornell University Police Department, police reported a sexual assault on March 17th and received the report this week. The victim stated that she was, quote, sexually assaulted by an unknown suspect, end quote, according to police, and that the incident happened between Ridgewood Road and the 100 block of Thurston Avenue around 1 a.m. If you have any information, you can contact the Ithaca Police Department at 607-272-9973 or the Cornell Police Department at 607-255-1111. For Clayton Davis, I'm Jay Bradley, WICB News.
This is your weekly politics beat. I'm George Christopher. Last Thursday, the city of Ithaca Redistricting Working Group released a draft of the city's new ward maps. According to the Ithaca Voice, the proposal would add parts of downtown Ithaca to the first ward while dropping parts of the South Hill area. The second ward would stretch all the way from downtown Ithaca up to Ithaca High School. Ward 3 would be made up of South Hill and the southern portion of East Hill. Ward 4 would take in most of Cornell's campus, while Ward 5 would include the Cornell Heights Historic District and the area around Cayuga Heights Village. Only one counselor, the second ward's Phoebe Brown, would be drawn out of the current district. Under the draft map, Brown's residence would be in the first ward. This could set up a primary battle between Brown and one of the first ward's current counselors, George McGonigal and Cynthia Brock, in 2023. According to the Ithaca Voice, Ithaca Mayor Laura Lewis has endorsed Leslie Danks Burke for state senate. Danks Burke is running in the new 53rd State Senate District, a heavily Democratic seat that includes both Ithaca and Binghamton. Also in the race is former Binghamton City Councilor Leah Webb. The race for the Democratic nomination has been tight, with both candidates racking up countless endorsements. Webb has been endorsed by Lewis's predecessor, Savante Myrick, and former State Assembly member Barbara Lifton. A New York State judge has blocked the state congressional and state legislature maps, saying state Democrats gerrymandered the state for political gain, violating the state constitution. According to the New York Times, state Democrats were confident the decision would be overturned upon an appeal. The maps would give Democrats the advantage in 22 of the state's 26 districts. Judge Patrick McAllister, a Republican from Steuben County, ordered the state legislature to pass new maps with bipartisan approval by April 11th. McAllister said if the state legislature fails to pass a bipartisan map, he would appoint an independent map drawer. The state legislature has failed to meet its Friday deadline to pass a new state budget for fiscal year 2023. According to the New York Times, the legislatures and governor have been divided on a number of issues, including proposed changes to the state's bail reform law. Governor Kathy Hochul and New York City Mayor Eric Adams have supported toughening New York's bail law by expanding the number of crimes eligible for bail. Reporting for Ithaca Now, I'm George Christopher. You're listening to Ithaca Now. I'm your host, Emma Kirsting. Ithaca City Asylum, an Ithaca-based all-volunteer group, provides asylum to creatives from all around the world who fear for their safety in their own countries due to the nature of their work. Last month, the ICOA welcomed their eighth writer-in-residence, Dmitry Baikov, from Russia. WICV correspondent Caroline Grass got a chance to speak with Baikov and Rachel Beattie Rydiel, director of Ainaudi Center for International Studies at Cornell, where he will be working. Since 2001, Ithaca City of Asylum, an all-volunteer group, has worked to make Ithaca a safe haven for writers and artists who are in danger in their countries for the work that they do. Last month, Dmitry Bikov, Russian writer, poet, journalist, public intellectual, and outspoken critic of Russian President Vladimir Putin, became the eighth writer-in-residence at Ithaca City of Asylum, or ICOA, and will be working with the Cornell University's Ayunaudi Center in their Institute for European Studies. Rachel Beatty Rydell, director of the Ayunaudi Center for International Studies, explained the process of having Bikov come to Ithaca and work with the university. Now, this is a particularly interesting collaboration because so many 
different partners came together to make Dimitri's stay here with us in the Institute for European Studies possible. That is that the Open Society University Network funded him as a, as a visiting critic, and we partnered with the Ithaca City of Asylum partners here in in town who provided a lot of logistical support um, as well to make him at home in Ithaca. And Dimitri's presence here on campus at Cornell is part of a larger initiative run out of our Vice Provost's Office for International Affairs that works with different scholars at risk, writers, visiting artists. Beekoff said Cornell proposed for him to stay here, and he plans to write a novel during his time here and will lecture students as well. I can teach in Russian and English. Uh, that's rather useful, because now I am practically banned in Russia. All my uh, newspapers and all my universities are forbidden. Like, for example, the so-called free university created by Hassan Husseinov. I am blacklisted on all the federal TV. I don't want to feel myself a victim, and I'm not a victim, sure, being still alive and happy. But nevertheless, I'm a quite a forbidden person. Uh, so I have to teach in English. And it's a, a big luck that somebody in America uh, needs my lecturing about Russian history. I asked Bikov how he would describe himself, and he talked about how nothing can truly describe him. He said he writes for himself to help solve his personal problems. He gave one example saying that maybe the most frightening is belonging to Russia, which he said is now an international criminal. Since many of the issues he faces are similar to his generation and nation, he feels that is why he is read by many Russians. Nothing describes me fully. You know, I'm a poet, a writer, a teacher, a father, a lecturer, a driver, heterosexual, straight, Russian, white, Jew. Uh, there are no exact definitions for any person, you know. I may be three times older than you are, and during this long life, I understood that there is not one single word which can describe me fully. That's the reason I'm writing a novel about the so-called multiple person, multiple disorder, uh, because there are many people in one, usually. It's a mistake that when we're speaking about one single person, we think that um, we oppose one concrete nation, name, and so on. There are five or six persons in each of us. In the spring of 2019, Bikoff became ill on a plane and fell into a coma for five days. He recovered fully, but in an independent investigation from Bellingcat, they found that Bikoff had been tailed by the Russian Federal Security Service, or FSB, and concluded that there were striking similarities between Bikoff's illness and the poisoning of opposition figures Alexei Navalny and Vladimir Karamuzer. I never thought about my poetry as about powerful arm against terrorism or dictatorship. But as I see that it is banned, that it is practically forbidden in Russia, it gives me such a flatter feeling uh, that they also need me and they feel me really powerful. Otherwise, maybe they would allow me everything. Yes, in Russia, a poetic word is traditionally significant. And more than this, uh, such writers who can predict the future, and they can, as you see, 
They are not loved by government anywhere. In Russia, you know, power is somehow afraid of writers. Maybe they think we are magicians. And we are, really. We can predict everything. And more than this, we can influence events. I think only in Russia, written word is so significant and important. David Gaspari, chair of ICOA, said he got involved with the program in 2004. He said Ithaca is one of three cities of asylum in the entire country, with Pittsburgh and Detroit being the other two cities. He said in the past few years, ICOA partnered with the International Cities of Refuge Network, who vet applications of writers and try to find cities that might be able to support them. Gaspari talked about how he got involved with ICOA and why he feels it is important to offer writers and artists a safe space in Ithaca. Actually, a dear friend of mine died, and she had been a very good citizen and very engaged in the community. And as a sort of tribute, I thought, well, I want to do something useful. And some friends invited me to join the board of ICOA, and I said, sure. And it's also a sort of, I think, it's a natural home for me, the, the idea of supporting writers and artists who, are, who, who aren't free, because, of course, we are about as lucky as we could be, given where we live. I mean, yes, sometimes people have a Twitter spat against them or something like that, but no one is putting them in jail. No one is burning their books. So it's part of um, paying back a little bit of the luck that, that we have. The truth is an interesting, is, is an important thing, and being able to say the truth about what's going on and spread it, spread it to people, that doesn't, that doesn't stop a war. Uh, that doesn't make poor people better off immediately. But somehow, I guess I'm just convinced that, that the truth is an important thing and that uh, people who uh, represent it and stand up for it are doing good in the world. Beatty Rydell talked about the history of Cornell hosting scholars and the importance of having visiting writers and artists. Cornell actually has a long history of hosting um, scholars at risk. In the past several years, we've hosted scholars from Cameroon. We currently have a visiting scholar from Afghanistan. Uh, we have had several visiting scholars from Turkey, and that's just in recent history. Over decades, this kind of program, often in collaboration with the Institute for International Education, has played a very important role in terms of thinking about intellectual solidarity with our colleagues around the world who are unable to do their work because of the conditions um, at their home university and yet have such important insights to share and need to be able to continue doing that. And so Cornell University is not the only one. There are many universities around the United States that uh, take part in this process. And I would say that it's one of the important priorities and missions of, of our center, the United States Center for International Studies, in terms of being able to provide this host hosting environment and an intellectual home. Bikoff explained that writing in the United States in safety is less pressure than writing in Russia. He said he invents the plots of his novels in Russia and then writes them in the U.S. In the United States, I don't feel the horrifying pressure which always uh, tortures me in Russia. You know, in Russia, you are afraid of every phone ring and of every knock at your door. 
You're afraid of any policeman who occasionally stopped near your door. Uh, this fear kills any feelings. You know that there is only one enemy which kills love. That's fear. Even hatred doesn't kill love, but fear is dangerous. That's the reason I prefer not to feel fear. And I love living in the U.S. even when I don't work there. I have many friends there, and I try to um, spend half a year here. Currently, the plan from the International Cities of Refuge Network, ICOA, and Cornell is for Beekoff to stay in Ithaca for two years. He will continue to write and teach here. The plan is flexible and could change, and Beekoff said with how quickly the world changes, making concrete plans is foolish. Um, surely I have plans. But you know, the most useless thing in the world, especially in such quickly changing world like nowadays, is to have plans. If you want to make uh, God laugh at you, tell him, his, tell him your plans. That's the only way, maybe, to make him laugh now. Sure, I have plans to be back in Russia, uh, to take power, and to change the country drastically. Uh, but I'm not sure they are ready to be changed so drastically. And so maybe I shall wait for a year or half a year. Nobody knows. Uh, I'm quite sure that at the end of this year, Russia would be changed and there would be no Putin. But that's my poetic feeling. In reality, Putin can survive me. I hope it, uh, it won't happen because he's too old and I'm comparatively young. Uh, but who knows, to change Russian power, the system of Russian power, the vertical, the pyramid of Russian power, you must change the mind of the majority. I hope it will be changed soon, you know, because uh, the victory in war, or for example the catastrophe in war, is a thing which can change your mind quickly. War is a locomotive of history. I am sure that Russian mind will be changed. But I'm not sure it will happen quickly, and that's the reason Russia will need me. For WICB News, I'm Caroline Grass. Ithaca's chapter of Extinction Rebellion, a worldwide movement to raise awareness about climate change, meets Saturdays at 11 a.m. in front of the Chase Bank in Ithaca to protest their funding of fossil fuel and other extraction projects. WICB News correspondent Christian Matry takes a deeper look into the motivation behind these protests. If you've driven past Chase Bank on Saturday afternoon, you've probably seen groups of protesters holding up various signs saying Extinction Rebellion, No Pipeline, and No Trespassing. For WICB News, I'm Christian Matry. These protesters are actually part of a national movement called Extinction Rebellion, an international decentralized social justice movement that uses nonviolent civil disobedience to pressure powerful groups and governments to address climate issues. Extinction Rebellion groups across the country are protesting at J.P. Morgan Chase Bank locations in order to pressure the bank to stop funding fossil fuel infrastructure projects. One of these projects funded by Chase Bank is a gas pipeline set to run through the Wet'suwet'en's territory. 
a Native American tribe in northwestern Canada. This pipeline has the potential to destroy the environment and species around it, jeopardizing the safety of the Wet'suwet'en Nation as they live off their land. Zooming into the local movement, XR Ithaca has been protesting outside of the local Chase Bank branch since January of this year. According to the Ithaca Voice, the group's actions caused the bank to close temporarily in February. Eight activists ended up being charged with criminal trespassing, but the charges were eventually dropped by Ithaca City Court. Extinction Rebellion Ithaca is still protesting outside of Chase Bank every Saturday from 11 a.m. to noon until December. Extinction Rebellion Ithaca is still protesting outside of Chase Bank every Saturday from 11 a.m. to noon until December. For WISB News, I'm Christian Matry. All music was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. Talking about climate action, a group of over 60 students at Cornell have been working for years to build the most fuel-efficient vehicle in the world. Senior members of the team will be presenting their work among the work of other universities at the Shell Eco Marathon in Indianapolis from April 10th to 13th. Former News Director Jay Bradley talked to some of the team members about their project. As gas prices across the country remain high, many are looking for answers on how to save gas and save money. A big part of this is energy efficiency, and a team of students at Cornell University has been trying to tackle this issue for years, and their work is about to be put to the test. Cornell Electric Vehicles, a student group at Cornell with over 60 members across sub-teams and majors, is, quote, dedicated to designing the world's most fuel-efficient vehicle. From April 10th through the 13th, senior members of this team will be heading to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway to compete against other university groups in the Shell Eco Marathon. At the event, vehicles will be traveling a set distance aiming to use the least amount of energy possible for their vehicle, class, and energy category. In other words, they're competing for efficiency, not speed. Cornell Electric Vehicles themselves refers to it as, quote, the test of ultimate fuel efficiency. Jojo Liang, a mechanical subteam lead on the project, says it's exciting to see it all come to fruition. It's been really a privilege of mine to see this car uh, get completed throughout the years. But at the same time, we're a little bit anxious because it has been years since we last competed. Cornell Electric Vehicle's current car, the lightweight Cuckoo Caravan, has been worked on for over two years in the absence of a competition since 2019 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. With the race just over a week away, the student group is performing final tests and preparing to transport their car so it can make the 10-mile trip of four laps on the famous raceway in a maximum of 40 minutes. According to the team, the majority of the parts in the largely carbon fiber vehicle are custom-made. Last time they competed, their Kiwi Cruiser placed third in the electric battery prototype category. Reed Fleischman, a member of the software and operations teams, says... Yeah, so a lot of other competitions are based on speed of the car like Formula SAE, their goal is just to make the, the fastest car. We're trying to make the most efficient car, and I think that's actually even more important in some ways, especially with the rise of electric vehicles, because right now many people fear that the vehicles aren't efficient enough. They might be fast enough, they might accelerate fast, but people don't want to buy them because they don't have enough range. Perception and other barriers such as cost and infrastructure have prevented wider adoption of EVs thus far, but that may change soon. Guillermo Metz, the energy team leader of the Tompkins County Cornell Cooperative Extension, says that their efforts regarding EVs have shifted to lowering these barriers in addition to their promotion following initial efforts a few years ago. At that time, it was early adopters. It was a lot of folks who could afford electric vehicles. 
at the uh, sort of high price points that they were coming in at the time. And um, that really raised our eyes to, okay, so that's great. We want to get more general adoption of electric vehicles, but we also need to work on making electric vehicles more accessible to everybody. And so we then did this follow-on program with Energetics that looked at how we can identify some of the barriers to the wider adoption of EVs and also then try to address some of those barriers. New York State features various incentives for purchasing electric vehicles, as well as cost estimate tools for customers. The Cornell Cooperative Extension is undertaking education and accessibility efforts to push for the adoption of new and used EVs, and Tompkins County has made efforts to increase the share of electric vehicles among its own fleet. Recently, nearly $1.5 million in federal funding was given to Cornell University for research and development of a wireless charging system for electric vehicles. In the face of environmental concern, fuel costs driving demand, and companies like Tesla and legacy automobile companies growing their availability of electric vehicles, more and more Americans are now looking at the potential of EVs. Cars.com, a website that compiles car listings online, reported that EV searches are up by 173% over the month of March likely due to heightened gas prices. Additionally, recent reports have shown emissions benefits over traditional cars for EVs, even when charged with electric grids powered by non-green sources. Cornell Electric Vehicles has taken on this mission of applying knowledge from classes to the issues of sustainable design and electric mobility, and this upcoming competition will be putting that to the test. Liang and her teammates say that as they put on the last few tweaks, it has been taxing, but incredibly rewarding. It's, I've never seen our team so motivated as well. Um, as you can see in our workspace, uh, our, I guess, hours put in is embodied in a mess right here. We're kind of just pushing the last, uh, towards the finish line, the last little bit to get our car ready. But at the same time, I think this is the most confident our team has ever been. The organization has required a lot of dedication from its members, but those working on the car say that that dedication has been integral to their college experience. Um, <laughs> this team is the majority of my life right now. I'm realizing that this sort of hands-on experience to get to solve is really uh, open-ended problems on a physical system like this is what's best preparing me for industry that I want to go into. So this is really exciting and very fulfilling, although tiring. Fleischman said that even as a freshman, he was able to get a lot of learning opportunities through working towards the competition. His role involved using software to simulate the vehicle's performance using data gathered from the hardware attached to the car that connects to a smartphone application. And I've learned a lot about how software works to connect. Like, I never really understood. I always built apps and things like that, but I never understood how you connect something like that to a physical vehicle. And that's what I've really taken away so far. In the future, the Cornell Electric Vehicles team says that they're working to increase the autonomous functionality of their vehicle and also make progress towards an urban concept vehicle. You can follow their updates at the competition on Cornell Electric Vehicles Facebook and Instagram. For WICB News, I'm Jay Bradley. That's all for this edition of Ithaca Now. You can listen to all our stories on WICB.org, and if you'd like to listen to past shows, follow WICB on SoundCloud and subscribe to Ithaca Now to hear this show anywhere, anytime. Also, subscribe to the latest to hear our daily newscast every weekday. Just search WICB News Presents on your favorite podcast app. 
For more updates throughout the week, follow WICB News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This show wouldn't happen without the support and assistance from Manager of Television and Radio Operations, Jeremy Menard, WICB Station Manager, Connor Hibbert, Programming Director, Harrison Kona. Thank you. Ithaca Now is produced by News Director Hamadri Seth, with assistance from News Managing Director Jordan Broking, News Production Director Beck Legato, and Social Media... And social media, co- well, and social media and web coordinators Emma Kirsting and Imbayini Unbarasan. All of the music from our show's intro and outro comes from Dr. Dunvidif from Louisville, Kentucky. Have any feedback, story ideas, just want to say hi? Feel free to reach out by emailing news at wicb.org. We will be back with a full episode of Ithaca Now at 7 p.m. next Sunday.